starting in chapter 4, verse 35. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, "'Teacher, don't you care if we drown?' He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, "'Quiet, be still.' Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, "'Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith?' They were terrified and asked each other, "'Who is this?' Even the wind and the waves obey him. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders, named Jairus, came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. 
Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out of him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding um, against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. When Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Well, you guys have done pretty well. Um, You've put up with about seven weeks straight of listening to me preach. Um, after this week, you'll have a couple of weeks off, which I'm sure will be a relief for you. So next week, we'll have uh, Justin, the rector of the parish. Uh, and the week after that, we'll have Dave, who looks after our city care ministry. Uh, last week, though, we began to see that Mark moves into a new section of his gospel. Uh, the first was all about Jesus' identity in this next section, starting with uh, the start of chapter 4 last week, the parable of the sower. We began to see the different responses that people have to the kingdom being brought forth by Jesus. Uh, today, we'll see some interesting responses to Jesus' power that will help us to understand uh, Jesus more and also the response that his power is meant to draw out of us. Uh, This is a challenging section of the gospel, I think, because it starts to engage with our realities uh, and that sometimes it can actually be quite uncomfortable for us. Uh, Let's start by praying together. Please bow your heads with me. Father, we thank you so much uh, for this part of Mark. We thank you, Lord, that Jesus uh, is powerful, but we pray that as we see this power and uh, see the chaos of our lives, that we will not fear, but that you will help us to have faith in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, I don't know about you, but I think that the sea is a pretty scary thing. Um, it's something that I think often from a distance will think, oh, well, like Aussies, right? No, no fear of the sea. You all learn to swim early and at a young age. Uh, well, I discovered the fear of the sea is a good thing when I first moved here. You may have detected I've got a bit of a hybrid accent. I'm half English, uh, kind of half Australian thing going on. Uh, and When I was 11, we first came to the country, wasn't really worried about the water, didn't kind of think of it, give it the respect it's deserved, and essentially nearly found myself on Bondi Rescue uh, as I got caught in a rip uh, and didn't think about it too much. Uh, But I think often most people would say, you're probably more scared of flying on a plane than going in a ship. 
I think most people, that's kind of the vibe that we have. The air travel's a little bit more scary to us. Uh, 2,000 seafarers die a year. Uh, something that you might not know, but ships actually sink pretty often. Uh, it's a weird thing that kind of only gets reported in uh, kind of economic shipfaring stuff because we all find it, I don't know, maybe not interesting to us. Uh, I'm quite interested in it at the moment because some of my furniture is being shipped from the UK to here. Uh, so I've been following it quite closely. Turns out a lot of containers fall in the water. Uh, it turns out that the sea is actually something that we find difficult to control and even in giant ships is difficult to navigate. Uh, now back in the ancient world, the sea was a fairly terrifying thing. Crossing the sea was a scary job to have. Seafarers died all of the time. Uh, world history has often been dictated by armies being destroyed as they were on their way somewhere because of a storm that has destroyed their ships. Well, today we find ourselves in the middle of an ancient storm, and it seems that the people on board are pretty scared. Keep those Bibles open. I'll be referring to the passage. Follow along with me if you can. Checking out verse 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with them. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Uh, in the ancient world, in ancient literature, the sea represents chaos. It was deeply feared because of its unpredictability and the lack of control that sailors had when things got rough. Uh, super common for sailors to die because of a storm, and so when this storm comes, everyone is terrified, right? The waves are crashing over the side. The disciples, for the first time really since hanging out with Jesus, are facing death. And where is Jesus? Asleep in the back of the boat. Uh, the disciples, they have fear in their heart. It's probably the first time since they've been with Jesus that they've properly been afraid. And what is their immediate response? Well, they doubt Jesus. They wake him up, questioning him. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And this is a point for us to pick up on as the gospel changes now. In their moment of fear, they doubt. Uh, if you're someone who's new to church, if it's not somewhere that you hang out often, then it may surprise you that this is actually a pretty big part of the Christian life. Doubt. It's easy to cruise along in the Christian life sometimes, seeing your friends, hanging out at church. But when things get hard, man, is it easy to doubt it all. When the waves are crashing down, where is Jesus? Is he asleep? When we face real problems, that is when the rubber really hits the road for us. We're going to think about this some more. But what does Jesus do? Well, exactly as they had hoped but doubted, well, he performs potentially his most impressive miracle yet. He calms the sea. He demonstrates immense power over the created world, an authority and power only held by the creator himself. 
Yet the disciples are now revealed to be as blind as anyone else. They fear. They expose their ignorance. Who is this? The conclusion's there for them to draw, but they fall short. You see, the failure of the disciples to recognize Jesus is another theme that we'll be seeing throughout this section of the gospel, that those closest to him struggle to know. Now, there are kind of two things to draw out of that, I think. The first uh, is that if your standard for belief is to see things with your own eyes, uh, this story kind of suggests that that's probably not the problem. These guys saw some serious things with their own eyes and still didn't get it. The second is that for those of us who struggle and sometimes doubt, take heart. Even those closest to Jesus struggled at times with the truth. And it does not make you any less for doing so. The thing is, fear actually seems to be a pretty common response to Jesus. And this should kind of make sense to us, right? We have heaps of stuff that we fear. Um, I was thinking about this this week, thinking about what types of stuff I'm scared of. I thought I'd share a little bit with you. Uh, Traditionally, I've I've always been pretty scared of heights. I think that's a fairly logical fear. I think it's a fair fear. If you fall a long distance, bad things happen to you. Uh, For a long time, my biggest fear was actually public speaking. Uh, when I was in high school, uh, I used to, when I used to do speeches from the front, I had this problem with my hands shaking. I'm a fairly shaky hands guy anyway. You don't want me to kind of help you take out your earrings. Uh, but my hands would shake, and I had this thing where like, my hand would shake while I was holding my palm cards up the front, and I'd try and stabilize it with my other hand. And then I just kind of end up in this like shaky motion. Um, another fear you might have, walking out of here, forgetting to take off your name tag. Right? Someone in the street says your name. You really... I'm an idiot. My life's over. I can never come back here again. Um, Gen Z have an issue with making phone calls or answering them. It was actually part of my training when I was working in youth ministry as we talk about the fact that actually when you call, um, call a Gen Z now, that freaks them out. Um, and also, you've got to text them, man. Don't email them. They won't read it. Text them. They might respond to you. Call them. They will hate you forever. Do not call people. They are terrified of it. Um, But people with power over us, I think this is a more universal fear, right? Some of us might fear our bosses because we know the power that they have over us. Uh, I was going to make a joke about Justin, but he's not here. Um, But he'll be on the live stream. Justin, you're terrifying. But when we see this power in action, right, it makes us scared. When we see people who have power use that power, I think often, especially when it could have been directed at us, It's something that we're scared of. It's something that makes us nervous. Well, take a look at the next scene with Legion. Jesus' most significant encounter with someone who's demon-possessed so far. We're in chapter 5 now. Check out verse 2. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. A scary sight. Someone outcast from his society because of his affliction. Uncontrollably stuck in a life of chaos and pain. He sees Jesus. He runs towards him, falling at his feet and declaring, verse 7, he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus? 
son of the most high God. In God's name, don't torture me. Now we find out this is the demons speaking, and the demons recognize him, right? They see Jesus, they know his power and his authority, and they are afraid. They fear what he will do to them. They negotiate their fate, if you read on. And you see that they can't do anything without his permission. And with that, he casts them out. He frees the man from them, demonstrating that even the most controlled by evil can be restored. Of course, when the townspeople see the man sat there recognizable, well, they see Jesus and worship him, right? No. They also respond to the power with fear and beg him to leave because power like this can be scary. Wouldn't you be afraid? I mean, at least it shows that they understand the power that's happening before them because we need to comprehend how much power Jesus is demonstrating here. Right? We can just read over these things like their stories, but if it happened in front of you, right? if you saw someone calm a storm, if you saw someone make someone who has been completely afflicted by demons make them well again, well, it's power that should scare us too. Complete control over nature and over the world, the ability to transform a situation to save lives and restore minds. Well, this continues as Jesus enters the town. People recognize his power. A synagogue leader comes to beg him to save his sick daughter. But as he travels there, something else happens. One of my favorite little stories, verse 25. And a woman who was there, a woman was there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was free from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you asked who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the truth. This woman, whose life has been dictated, controlled by another awful affliction, approaches Jesus, having heard of his power, desiring just to be free from her suffering. And something once again remarkable happens. She's healed. Jesus knows what's happened and looks for who it was. He knows, but he wants her to come forward. And in trembling, she comes. And she kneels before Jesus in fear. Instead of being scary, sometimes power can be a comfort, right? Uh, I don't know um, if you have people in your life who make you feel better just because they're present. Uh, I find this with spotters in the gym. Uh, I've recently gone to a new gym, so I don't have a spotter at the moment, so I live a life of fear. Uh, but you see it in children, right, all the time. Uh, you see it in shy children at church. Uh, often my beard's a lot longer than this, so I experience children cowering behind their parents a lot. Uh, parents are a comfort, right? Someone that makes them feel safe and secure. They kind of know the power that they have to look after them. And we see Jesus take on this role for her. Verse 34, he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace 
and be freed from your suffering. And here we see in this woman the most authentic expression of faith in the book so far. Not from the Jewish leaders, not from the disciples, but from this desperate, suffering woman who puts all others so far to shame. Humble, honest, faithful, one of the true heroes of the gospel, as she shows us the response to Jesus' power, to understand and to approach him with humility and faith. Jesus then arrives at the house of Jairus, verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw the commotion with people wailing and crying loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went into where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the, child stood, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. The news is the worst. His daughter has passed away, but that is not how the story ends. We have seen the power of Jesus, but those at the house are in despair and laugh at his suggestion that this will not be the end. But Jesus has already reassured Jairus, do not fear just believe. Jesus raises the girl to life. Like Peter's mother earlier on, her mother-in-law earlier on in the gospel, it's as if she was never sick to begin with. You see, in the various scenes in our passage today, we see Jesus demonstrate immense power. He deals with the fear of those around him by calming storms, writing minds, and changing lives. Power that leads those who witness it to move to, the, to fear towards him. Yet what should our response be? We see that Jesus does not desire to be feared by his people. He demonstrates great power, but it is not for the forces of evil as he was accused of previously. In each of these acts, we see Jesus control what is causing people fear and suffering and cast it away to calm the storm, to cast away the demons, and to transform lives. The response to this king is not fear. It's understanding. It's understanding his power and turning in faith. Jesus has come to alleviate our fear because really it's not Jesus that is actually feared in this passage. In the storm, it is the chaos and uncontrollable advance of their impending doom. For each of those who we see healed, the people are fearing the forces that have brought them to their knees, the suffering that they face, 
the dangers that they face that seem unstoppable in their lives and often just around the corner, bleeding that would never end, sickness and death that has taken a loved one. They live in a world of fear and suffering that can come at every turn. And this isn't just the victims, it's everyone around them. And the thing is, it's easy for us to feel this way in our lives, that we're not actually in control because we're not. For some of us, there is a real fear of sickness that comes without explanation and changes the outlook of our lives out of nowhere. My my family's dealt with this recently. I'm sure many of us here are. Plans and hopes changed forever by the impact of sickness and of people passing. Or watching the plans that you might have for stability, slowly but surely eaten by interest rates. Life plans with the best intentions that just seem to fall apart despite our best efforts as the uncontrollable world around us shifts and changes. We try to take control of our lives. If I just get these things done for my family, then we will be secure. If I just eat this diet and avoid these things, then I will be healthy. Not a bad idea, but this control of our lives, it becomes an idol for us. It becomes everything. And then suddenly, when it comes crashing down, what are we left with? Do you really think that you're in control? That you are the master of your destiny? Just look at the world. For those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, what about when this Christian thing stops working with those plans? When suddenly trusting in Jesus means making real decisions of faith in the midst of a storm that just don't seem to make practical sense. When choosing Jesus over the things that we want to control suddenly doesn't seem like such a good idea. When it doesn't pragmatically fit with my life plans for what I kind of want to believe will make me feel secure. Well, suddenly this Jesus guy's scary, isn't he? What if he isn't what I thought? What if he doesn't come through for me now? What if he can't calm the storm? I should at least make sure I have my security before I take that risk, right? Jesus says, do not fear, have faith. He did calm the storm. Have faith in the one who controls the seas who frees people from their oppression and who one day will bring about a world where there is no longer chaos or sickness or electricity bills, who will one day raise all the dead to life and that on that day will bring about a life of eternal, perfect life and love. Mark is telling us to fall at his feet like this woman to recognize that we cannot control our lives and to have faith in the one who can. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now in trembling like the woman did. We thank you for the example of our sister here who shows us such great humility and courage and faith. We pray, Lord, that while now we know that you do not promise to fix all of these things in our lives, 
that if we hold to you and trust in you with faith, that one day we will stand with you in eternity. And the life of chaos and pain and uncertainty will be over. In Jesus' name I pray.